The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Hello there. Welcome to Grace in Focus from the Grace Evangelical Society. Today, Ken Yates and Bob Wilkin will be answering a question that might be of interest. Why do Bible translators, let's say New Testament translators, sometimes use a different English word for the same Greek word? And how then do two possible translations affect how we perceive meaning and then how we apply that part of Scripture? It is a great question. Hope you'll stay tuned for it. After I tell you about our website, faithalone.org, where you can go to find many of our articles, videos, blogs, and a free subscription to our magazine, Grace in Focus. I hope you'll go there and just take a look at all that is available to you there. Now to our discussion, here are Bob and Ken. Hi, welcome to Grace and Focus. I'm here with... Ken Yates, and it's great to be with you again. Well, thank you, Ken. It's good to have you here. We're going to take some uh, questions today, and I have one. I wrote a blog, evidently, I think it was about the uh, parable of the just and the unjust servant in Matthew 24, 45 to 51. But this person is actually asking a question about the uh, related parable in Luke chapter, what, 12? Yes, starting in verse 42. 42 and following. And here's what this person asks. This person says, I tend to agree with most of what you say in the article about stewardship and faithfulness being the focus in the parable. But my question is, why would all of these Bible translations use the word unbelievers instead of unfaithful? Now, before we go on, what verse is he talking about? Well, in Luke 12, Jesus is teaching there, starting in verse 42. When you get to verse 46, it talks about the servant who does not do a good job. And it says, the master of that servant, now this is from the New King James Version, will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he is not aware. And here's the point. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the, and the New King James Version says, unbelievers. Now, in Matthew 24, I guess it's verse 50, we have the same basic parable, but this place it says the hypocrites. Yes, he will assign him with the hypocrites. But he's going to be cut in two. Right. But when he told the parable on a different occasion, he used slightly different language, and he said he was going to be his place with the apistoi. Right. And so the question is, what does that mean? Does that mean the unfaithful ones, or does it mean the unbelievers? Uh, Ken raises a good question. Why would all these, and when he says all these, it's almost every translation says this is talking about unbelievers. Yeah, and it's very confusing here, because if you look at the Luke passage, how could the Lord say that a believer is assigned with unbelievers? And that's, right. and that's the question here. Yeah, right. exactly. And this person goes on to say, I know I have met and accepted Christ. Now, I think hopefully what Ken means is he's believed in Christ for his salvation, for everlasting life. However, my prayer is that my life would be found faithful, and I would not wind up like the unfaithful servant and experience a harsh rebuke from Jesus. So he is seeing the parable in the right way. Right. He's not saying, I'm afraid I'm going to end up in the lake of fire or something. But he does go on to say, I would appreciate further insight on the issue of unbeliever versus unfaithful. You made a really good point in our warm-up before we got into this about the Greek word, ah... Pistoi, the alpha primitive, the alpha put in front of a word, reverses its meaning, right? Right. For example, the opposite of typical is... 
A. Atypical, right? Right. Asymmetrical is something that's not symmetrical. Well, apistoi, or in the singular, apistos, is something that's not pistos. Exactly. So is it possible that that same word is used in the same passage, but without the letter A in front of it? Yeah, absolutely. And here's the key. And it's such a great question that he's asking here. The key is that the word does appear in this very same teaching by the Lord. And it is found in verse 42, when the Lord says, who then is that? And here's the word faithful. Now, faithful must be a different word than pistos. It must be some other word, because if it was the same word, surely the translators, just a few verses later, if you put alpha in front of it, they would say that means unfaithful, right? It, that's what they should do. But, and you're being uh, facetious. Oh, oh. <laughs> and the point is that the word faithful, which, by the way, the New King James Version in verse 42 translates it faithful. Who is the faithful pistos? servant. And then you're absolutely right. Why then when you get to verse 46, when they say, ah, pistos, do they translate that unbeliever instead of unfaithful? Yeah. And it's because evidently whoever these translators were had some sort of a theological bias. It's exactly right. We always need to keep in mind that our translations are done by Translators, yeah. human translators. Computers who are, don't do these. Who are not inspired by God. They come along, and in this case, there's a classic example. They're letting their theological bent shine through. They see this guy who is an unfaithful servant, but they see the, what the Lord says to him cut in two and, and all this. Well, that's got to be talking about an unbeliever, right? Now, some of uh, you who are listening didn't get a chance to read my blog where I talked about that. So, Ken, what is cutting in two? How could Jesus cut believers in two at the judgment seat of Christ? I mean, does that make any sense? It's obviously a figure of speech when you get cut in two. Why do you say it's obvious? Because he's not literally going to cut people in two at the judgment seat of Christ. Or at the great white throne? Either one, right. People aren't cut literally in parts. And by the way, we use phrase very similar to Cut to the quick or... or or your words just rip my heart out. Cut me to the bone. Right. We all use these phrases like he chewed me up and spit me out. Yeah. Spit and nobody thinks that's literal. <laughs> exactly. But we do here. But when people see those phrases, they automatically think hell. Okay. So what does the figure mean? If it doesn't mean, it's not so obvious on why it would mean hell Anyway, why would cut in two mean hell? I don't get that. Right. You would think if a person was cutting two, we're talking about killing them. And uh, I study Spanish. I, I try, I'm trying to learn it. It's a funny thing. When I hear phrases in Spanish, I translate them very literally. For example, I was listening to someone speak, and they were talking about the Big Apple. Okay. And when I heard that, I thought, well, now why are they talking about a big piece of fruit? You know, because it was out of context. But if I hear that in English, the Big Apple, I think New York City. Right. And that's what they were talking about. Okay. But because I heard it in Spanish, I was like, man, we were talking about New York, and now they're talking about a big <laughs> piece of fruit. <laughs> and that's what people do when they come to a biblical passage like this. Sometimes they, they don't realize, well, this is a figure of speech. And this figure of speech ultimately means, whether it's the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment, in either case, it means something Jesus is going to do to this unfaithful person. 
Right. What is it that this cutting in two symbolizes? Well, just imagine what the rebuke of the Lord would feel like at the and here. There is that's it. The yeah, rebuke, right? right. Were, and don't we read in Hebrews? Exactly. Hebrew that, the author of Hebrews says nothing is hidden before him and yes, his word is like a double-edged sword that And cuts. in Revelation it says his tongue is a double-edged sword. Exactly. And so what would it feel like to have the Lord rebuke you if you have been unfaithful to him? It'd be like being cut in two. It'd be, it'd be getting cut to the quick. Exactly. His words will just rip my heart out. And that's what the Lord is saying. And what a difference it makes to translate apistos as unfaithful versus unbeliever. I mean, there's a big difference between you were unfaithful and you are an unbeliever. I mean, what a difference. You know, you use the expression, rip my heart out. No believer wants to have his heart ripped out at the judgment seat of Christ, right? Right. What would that mean? I mean, if we're going to be cut in two, wouldn't it mean that this would be a kind of a time of pain and shame? Well, sure. First John two twenty eight. there will be believers who experience profound shame at the judgment seat of Christ. Shrinking back in shame right. is coming. That yeah. is coming. Right. That is exactly what the Lord is describing here. But it wouldn't be a permanent situation. You know, I've heard people say, maybe you've heard this, Ken, in Revelation 21, 4, it says the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mm -hmm. And I've heard people say, well, that's at the beginning of the eternal state after the millennium. And so these unfaithful believers will have cried for a thousand years. (laughs) And at the end of the thousand years, he's going to wipe away their tears. I would give that an F grade (laughs) if I'm uh, grading a soteriology class. Because there's not going to be believers that are weeping and gnashing their teeth for a thousand years, right? No, I don't think so. No. But at the judgment seat of Christ. And I even wonder, in glorified bodies, I'll ask you, will we literally be able to cry? I don't know. I believe that we'll be able to cry, but I think once we have our glorified bodies, except for a brief moment maybe at the judgment seat of Christ— The only tears we're going to experience would be tears of joy, I would think. I remember talking with Zane Hodges about this, and he said, look, in this life, if we experience a horrible loss, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, we grieve. But within a few years, we've grieved and we've gotten over it. But he said, with a glorified body, it doesn't need to take, and it wouldn't take years. He said it would probably take minutes or even seconds But it's not going to be a pleasant thing. No. So Ken's right. You want to avoid that. And the loss of rewards that you'll have, knowing in that time, my ability of intimacy with Christ and serving him in the kingdom is going to be impacted by my unfaithfulness to him. Exactly. In other words, here's the options. Option one is at verse 42 is the faithful servant. Yes. Jesus returns. You love his appearing. Second Timothy 4, 8, to all who love his appearing. And you're faithful. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master and you rule over 10 cities and you get uh, lots of treasure and, and lots of other rewards. And you get the Lord's praise and approval. Or you get the Lord's rebuke and you experience shame. Now, and you're in the group with the unfaithful. You're ones. in the group with the unfaithful. Now, you're going to be in the kingdom forever. You're going to have joy forever. 
but it's not going to be as full as it could have been. So those are your options. Which one would you pick? And what we would say there is it's okay to do this in your Bible. In Luke 12, 46, where it says unbelievers, cross that out and put unfaithful and then draw a little line to the word faithful in verse 42. It's okay to do that. That's exactly right. And when you do that, remember, keep grace in focus. Thank you, gentlemen, for that great discussion. Would you be interested in some free ebooks on topics you hear on this program? Well, if you are, you need to come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On the site, we've got all kinds of free materials, but one of our popular options is our free ebooks on a range of subjects. They're designed to help you mature and grow in your understanding of the faith and scripture. So come visit us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. We are so thankful for our financial partners who keep us on the air. Every gift is tax deductible and very much appreciated. If you'd like to find out how you can give, go to faithalone.org. Would you like to have a chat with Dr. Bob or one of the guests here on the program? Let me tell you how to reach out to the team. You can get us on our email address, which is radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. And on the next Grace in Focus, what is the difference biblically in the terms born again and adoption as sons? It'll be an interesting discussion. I hope you'll join us. This is the Grace Evangelical Society reminding you to always keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.